Hello everyone, welcome to episode 75 of Vague Zone. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. And today we're continuing our coverage of the films nominated for Best Picture this year for the 94th Annual uh, Academy Awards. And today we have a guest, a good friend of ours, Kevin Ganellan, dating back to SF State Film School days. So welcome, Kevin, to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. And so today we are talking about the films licorice pizza and the power of the dog so daniel would you like to read us the imdb synopsis for these films uh sure so first up licorice pizza um 2021 directed by paul thomas anderson the story of alana kane and gary valentine growing up running around and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the san fernando valley 1973 uh so kevin since you're our guest Mm. how about you start us off by telling us what did you think of licorice pizza loved it i remember coming out of it i told you i liked it and didn't love it but looking back yeah. on how much of a joyous experience it was you have to use the word love like it's it's hard to just like that movie if yeah you, as you think about it as a whole it's there's there's so much that happens there's so much beauty and joy so it's like it, it's just a, such an exciting movie and uh I, I think i was comparing it to his other it's hard for me when i love a director and all of his work to not compare it to how it stacks up to his other work uh and i i think i like a lot of his other like three or four of his other movies a bit more um and yeah. this had a few weak spots for me which kind of held me back at first but it's a great movie it's super lovely yeah thomas how about you i'm a little more harsh on this one i like i i don't think i would say i would love this movie like i like i after the second viewing i'm like like I really want to feel that way towards it, but it just isn't really clicking. I think it just ties into like what I like and what I'm looking for in a cinematic experience. And I was talking to my buddy Adam the other day where I was like, Paul Thomas Anderson is like, like yeah, one of the best American directors around right now, hands down, easily. And he makes fantastic films. Each one of his movies are really memorable. And I think I just like when he gets a little darker, maybe a little bit more into a world I'm not really used to. I don't like. I was also pondering about this when I was walking around today on my little usual walk, and I was just like comparing this to Tarantino's, um, uh, his uh, the Hollywood. I forget the name of it. Once upon a time, yeah. Once upon a time in Hollywood. It's also it's about it's like a period piece set in Hollywood. It's about his adoration to the genre and the and that era, and he sort of dips into a little bit of horror, dips into a little bit of comedy, but in in whole, it's like like a sort of a tribute to the era. And that's kind of what I feel like with this movie. It feels like a tribute to an era and a tribute to something special to Paul Thomas Anderson. But as far as like, it, it, it doesn't really click for me. And I, on the second viewing, I found myself actually kind of bored while watching it. Like, it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel like a love story that I would be really drawn to. It feels like a really good movie about identity. And I think what Alana goes through is really fucking fascinating as far as like, she sort of latches on to Gary and Gary has like, the actor persona and then his businessman persona and then it sort of go it sort of drifts after that and so it drifts into this bigger actor world with sean penn's character and like when tom Waits shows up that's like my favorite part of the movie like he sort of completely hijacks the movie when he shows up and he's like you son of a bitch and he's just like he's yeah like, a, there's, like a cla- there's like and a cloud cigarette smoke yeah shot. there's like a cloud oh, of smoke yeah. around and i was like hey yeah. if there's any filmmakers listening to this episode that's the exact role i want to be cast like in the movie just i just want to show me up as tom Waits. Dude, i just want to show up like, I, like, you I gotta can do live the, like 50 more years <laughs> yeah like, i can do a raspy first. voice i just want to show up 
have like two or three scenes and gives like a, a crazy monologue completely just smoked out and just like yeah it's just <laughs> those moments are great i love bradley cooper's character i wish there was more of that middle section with them sort of dealing with the actual hollywood kind of stuff but the business stuff is somewhat interesting and the pol- the sort of benny safties politician world at the end is it's kind of, this movie's kind of like alana sort of grafting herself to different like male figures throughout this movie and i think the actor section is the most interesting part i just wish the other aspects weren't really there because i think that aspect is so fucking great and so like you know lush and interesting but the other parts are like kind of good but overall i'm just like i don't know like this is such a great filmmaker and like he's done he's like done such a great thing so many times you know like done like you know did sorry he's like approach these worlds in ways before where it's like okay he's gonna take us into this world where we're like not used to and so i like when he gets a little darker but this one was a little bit more not as effective for me i don't know what do you think daniel on your uh, second i mean i'm in the love camp also yeah, yeah. uh like so i watched it once in theaters me and kevin saw it together yeah and then i kind of just threw it on as a refresher like while it was working uh to, to you know get up be able to have this conversation um and i completely i love this movie <laughs> i was like i love this movie hard totally, totally. um like I, except for the weird japanese racist scene i feel like every <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah i i fucking adore that scene um, fight for that. no but yeah. i feel like every scene has something that i can like sing the praises of so like i started to take notes as i was watching it just supposed to be on in the background while I was working completely distracted me um, I started taking notes and I realized I was taking about as many notes as I took for Power of the Dog just within the first like 10 minutes um, because yeah. it's just like every scene I'm falling in love with like so it, uh, I got kind of hung up on the scene of uh, when Gary goes out to a restaurant he invites uh, Alana out to meet him there and it's like it's in the ball's in her court either she comes or she doesn't um she shows up and he's staring at her and they end up having dinner together and it feels like she's already falling in love with him in that moment like she says i love you at the end of the movie and the whole movie is about like the power dynamics between her and this younger boy her believing her life is kind of a mess um and him having everything uh kind of together he's he's ambitious he's entrepreneurial all that and all of this is kind of spelled out for us right here in this in this uh, in the scene where they're getting dinner together. Yeah. Um, she says something along the lines of, um, like, you're going to be rich with a mansion when you're 16, and I'm going to be still taking photos of high schoolers when I'm 30. And so that places us, that just underlines what the power dynamics are, like where she believes she is at in her life and where she sees him. And when she says, I love you at the end, it's, it's her falling in love with the idea that someone is taking her seriously and someone appreciates her and someone who has their shit together is sort of elevating her. And it's like, there's all this dialogue that's come out of this movie about like how it's irresponsible to be uh, sort of framing this relationship, this romantic relationship between a 25 year old woman and a 15 year old boy through this like uh, lens that isn't totally critical but um, but I feel like it's saying like it's saying something really valuable like about how humans behave and about the human experience and like you can extract value from putting a lens on these types of relationships even if you don't necessarily agree with the dynamics of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And so this whole, yeah, the whole movie is just about, like, someone who doesn't quite have their shit together falling in love with being admired uh, by someone who does. <laughs> um, even if we understand that the, the dynamics aren't necessarily a responsible dynamics. Um, but yeah, I, I fucking adore this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, like I said, every scene has something. The fucking um, Lance, the character Lance on the plane <laughs> trying to flirt with Alana and being like, I never flown this bird before. Like, smooth ride, right? And it's like, this yeah. is the most bullshit conversation you can make with someone. <laughs> but like, he's trying to be super cool and like, even that stuff, just like, just the line never flown this bird before is to me like Paul Thomas Anderson showing off with like a throwaway character interaction. I don't know. Uh, with, I see uh, what you're saying. Yeah. What were you going to Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, thanks. The, uh, the, there is some, still some darkness in this one. That's what first stood out to me when I was watching it. Um, there's always like a good amount of emotional violence in Paul Thomas Anderson movies. And what stood out to me was uh, the way it's directed at people on the fringes of like LA high society in this one. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, it was interesting that that was still there on the kind of on the edges of this movie. There's, uh, Bradley Cooper's character does most of it. If I remember correctly, yeah. <laughs> he, there's, there's the, the flamboyant housekeeper for his wife that he's just constantly putting down yeah. and putting in his place. And then there's kind of a cutaway scene. He, when he's, he's stealing gas, some guy is filling his car up with gas. He just takes the nozzle from him. And just like, this is my gas now. And the guy, is, he's like a person of color and he's playing the song called Cherokee People in his car. Uh, and, and then, yeah, plenty of other examples, but like, it's still there. I like that it's still there. And to me, in, his, in Paul Thomas Anderson's other movies, like Boogie Nights, it's, it's overpowering. I'm not a huge fan of Boogie Nights because it's just unrelenting, like characters getting put down over and over again. Totally, yeah. In a cycle. Yeah. And that's, that's the point of that movie. It's just the cycles that these characters put themselves through. But I kind of like that for this one, it was, uh, there's that hint of darkness that our two lovers can like get, you, you're worried they're going to get trapped by, <clears throat> or, or like you, you're worried that Bradley Cooper is going to just straight up fuck them up when he finds out what they did to his car, but they still somehow just skirt away from it. Yeah, I, I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson sort of works at like this weird, somewhat stressful level and mm -hmm. then somewhat a more relaxed, sort of sprawling kind of thing. I feel that way about Inherent Vice where it doesn't feel stressful, it's more sprawled out. And like, I, I actually, I think that that movie is much more in line with what I like as a, like a film washer. So I'm a little more biased because I love Inherent Vice and I think they're, they attempt similar things where they're trying to have like a... Uh, like a collage of characters they have a moment where it's like an awkward white character being racist in a japanese restaurant and it's sort of just like not really related to the plot it's more just a pinpoint adding to the point okay yeah josh brolin's character he used to be like a hippie adjacent cop but now he's more just a straight-laced cop but he's still just kind of like a dumbass and can is capable of just making very blunt like crass racism co comments by just order, order, or by ordering more pancakes inside of the restaurant and so here, when it happens, I'm just like, sort of going back to that scene, I'm just like, okay, like, I think it's it's more of just like, it's adding to this pastiche, to this collage of just like, this world we're trying to dive into. And I think that is like, Paul Thomas Anderson, he's really good at doing great character pieces. And I think the characters at the center of this movie are just like, just something I'm like, I, I think is great. I think everyone here is 
working at like they're working at their best capacity i i think the it's shot well it's acted well but as far as it's like the actual story of it is something i'm just not yeah. super connected with it's it's not a story driven movie it's a character piece uh it's a it's a hangout movie which yeah. was a term i didn't hear until once upon a time in hollywood but yeah yeah and so like is if we're just looking at that i'm like okay i think i'd rather have my paul thomas anderson come in the form of like a stoner noir driven around like mysteries of like people disappearing in los angeles as opposed to like oh it's a younger guy kind of wooing this older girl and even that's not even a big part of that it's more just about the character alana's identity aligning with these other pieces like first of all she's lining with gary because yeah he's a successful actor but then there's a slightly more successful actor in his orbit and then there's an even more successful actor in that orbit and then it's like okay well that's not successful anymore that's just that's not satisfying anymore so i'm going to move on to this other thing until the moving on isn't satisfying anymore she realizes that gary is the person that she like wants to be with and so i don't know it's just that whole thing is like it's really cool like i i see why that is something that's attractive but for me upon rewatch i was just like this isn't really working for me i don't know why like i i love the bradley cooper scenes i love sean penn like i say i love uh tom waits in this like when they're in it i'm like okay that's the world i would wish we would dive into more but it feels a little bit too meandering kind of going from going from gary and then we're going to sean penn and then we're going to benny safty at the end and so but by the time it's over i'm just like we've kind of just drifted through a lot of stuff. And so you guys are way more into it, but I'm not as into it. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, the things that might've held you back are the things that uh, stood out to me as awkward the first time I watched it too. Like the, like what I like about inherent vice is uh, there's no like pressure on the plot. You don't really, there is no uh, attempt to have a coherent forward movement. It's just, things are just happening and, you're, you're always at a loss and that's how it's supposed to be. But what kind of stood out as awkward to me for, with this one was uh, there's like certain moments where it just feels like a forceful script change, like push, like, okay, we're like, they're having an argument now and this is going to inform the third act and it's, it's kicking off the third act mm -hmm. and it felt very obvious. And like, they were saying things like, um, like the pinball thing. Is that sort well, the, well, uh, I I wish I watched. I had time to watch it last night. <laughs> well, the one where they're at they're at his house, and there's a news story about the gas shortage, and yeah. she's like, she's saying things like very on the nose that seemed very on the nose. Like I think they're at a restaurant. Or something. Yeah, yeah, and she's like, "You're not responsible. That's why because I'm leaving you." Yeah, it, she says those things like word for word, and that seemed a little on the nose for me. And that's kind of seemed to be like a byproduct of the hangout movie, like. Mm -hmm. You have these long stretches of beautiful scenes and they just kind of insert like movement to get to move on to the next act um which once i got through that daniel's grimacing, <laughs> grimacing <laughs> hard yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> what do you what do you think about that? well because it's like i just find alana's character so it, like she she's the focal point of this movie and i find even in those moments she's really interesting to me because it's like she's only doing this because she's trying to figure out who she she is as a responsible adult woman and so like her pointing that out so like early in the movie like i said i was like hung up on this scene of them having dinner um he's talking about like all these businesses he owns and she says something like oh you're probably a spy too and he like says like no that's funny yeah and yeah. then um he goes into some more about like handling his business and she says something about like uh she makes a joke about him having to balance it with his math homework like having to also do his math homework and, like, that is her just trying to undermine, like, 
the success that all this success that he has it's her trying to reclaim some of the power by being in this like position of like well i'm older than you <laughs> like i have seniority yeah. over you so like it feels like a lot of like the power dynamics is like it's a balance between this person who has seniority versus this person who actually has their shit together and so her pointing out to him that like hey you're not paying attention to this oil stuff it's her trying to sort of like uh dismantle this idea that he is entrepreneurial, that he does have this shit together because mm -hmm. she wants to feel better about herself. And so, like, after that, that's when she gets into politics. It's because she's trying to feel like she's a responsible person and that she has her shit together. Uh, but really, it's just, she just needs Gary. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask Kevin, what do you think about that turn in sort of, like, this late third act? Well, not, like, late third act, but towards the end of this movie, we sort of take this uh, additional segue where we are introduced to Benny Safdie's character as a... I think it's Joel Wax. And so Joel Wax is like this politician. Mm -hmm. And then we, like, uh, our character Alana sort of uh, aligns herself with her. And she's like, yeah, like, I want to be a part of this. And sort of denouncing Gary's interest in, like, oh, yeah, you're worried about pinballs. Like, you just want to sell pinball machines. And I'm worried about, like, changing the world. What do you think about sort of her introduction to that? And then, like, when it comes crashing down at that dinner scene? Love that dinner scene. Um there's just so many su surprises in this movie and you just never know like what direction things are going to go in. Uh, and I love how it's slowly, you, you are coming to the realization of what that dinner is about at the same time she is, yeah, yeah. which is great. I love when a scene can put you in a character's seat like that. Oh, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think it wasn't too, once you, once I got past that diner scene where they're like, where she just stated what she was going to do and told Gary what she thought of him in, in like point blank. I, I was kind of just along for the ride. It, it matched up with what else was going on in this movie. Um, it was just another direction that this character was taking. So it didn't, that the fact that she ended up going there didn't throw me off too much. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. even though I'm kind of like critical on the movie being a little bit meandering, even though that's like a big trait of it. I, I really love the moment when I forget like the character's name, but it's uh, it's Joel's like boyfriend slash lover. And they're like basically talking to a lot. like, like, you're out here with this 12 year old. And like, it, like as he like, calls her a 12 year old, the camera kind of like zooms in on her. And she's just like, oh, fuck. Like, I was like critical of Gary. Like, you know, I was calling him like. A 15 year old but he's actually 16 but then like like you know i I, just, I thought that was a really great moment where it's just like oh yeah when you're like in your 30s and 40s anyone in their teens is just like a child <laughs> you know what i mean like I, that's just that's a really great detail yeah and then she has that beautiful scene with the spurned guy walking him back to his apartment and that that probably helped put things in place for her yeah, you know, yeah. Like, get, to get her shit together and and not go down that path that she saw those two in yeah, I forget what he says, but it's still on point where he's like, yeah, like, they're all dumb as fuck. <laughs> like, they're, like, they're all dumb boys. Fuck like, men? Yeah. yeah, I think it was something like, just fuck men. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good scene. Yeah, no, I, I, like I say, like, I'm, like, I, I'm hesitant to fall in love with it. There are some really great moments in this movie that I think are fucking fantastic. Like, when Alana initially goes home after the date, and, like, her sister's, like, giving, she's, like, smoking outside, and she's, like, giving her a really ginger sincere tender advice and then the last is like fuck you like, oh, yeah. like, <laughs> i was gonna say that felt like, like something from like an adam mckay movie yeah yeah it's just it like, was like very there. very funny in a way his pta movies usually aren't just like almost meta like we were we, we were primed for like a heart to heart 
yeah, just yeah. throws it out the window, and I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's like I felt that 100%. It's like someone just giving you the facts 100%, but you're just too young. And he's just like, fuck you, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a behind-the-scenes, just like a conversation with Paul Thomas Anderson talking about directing this movie and being really good friends with Cooper Hoffman and like seeing him grow to be yeah, yeah. you know, the boy that he is in this movie. Um, and so that really changed like the dynamic of how he directed him and where he was like kind of like playing jokes on him and doing stuff that you shouldn't do to actors like <laughs> deceiving him but it's because he had had this long history with him so like one example is um when uh alana shows shows him her breasts uh he says like can i see your boobs or whatever they had done the take of her slapping him multiple times and then uh he Paul Thomas Anderson leans in. He's like, okay, I think for this next one, maybe we try something else. Like, maybe, like, this turns into a kiss. And he did not tell Alana that. <laughs> <laughs> because he wanted the sincere reaction of him being surprised by a slap. Because he had he had started to anticipate it. Um, and so that's the take you see in the movie, is that uh, he was told, like, oh, he was told to expect a kiss. And that's yeah, it. yeah, that's um, great. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I was gonna ask, what do you think about Kevin? What do you think about like the romance part about this? Like, we sort of touched about it a little bit earlier, but I think there's really um, concrete moments in this movie where they're like, "Hey, like Alana's very aware. Like, I am not dating this person. Like, he's younger than me. I'm not dating. Like, she has the opportunity to date an actor a little bit older than him, like a little bit more mature than him, and then." as the movie progresses it's clear she vocalizes it multiple times like hey i'm like i'm not dating him it's not okay but then we have this moment where it's like oh yeah it's like this after this really crazy audition scene which is my favorite mo scene of the movie <laughs> when like the yeah. the like the, uh, the the person in like interviews her for the the scene but after that he's like you like you're gonna do nude do a nude scene whatever like you're gonna show your new your boobs on screen but you're not gonna show me and then she kind of just does it as an obligation or whatever, and then she slaps him. But, like, what do you think about that progression? Because, like, I think it's a really crucial part about this movie, but I, I, I don't know. Like, what do you think about it? Yeah, it kept the tension going. Like, I felt the tension of that the most with Bradley Cooper when he's in the truck with them. Yeah, And he's yeah. like, uh, what does he say to her? He's, he's like, like, asking her what her sign is and shit. Yeah, and doesn't he just say, like, have you guys fucked yet? Or something like that? Some, oh, I, I think. <laughs> no, but he's, like, leaning over <laughs> Gary yeah. to, like, park the Yeah. Truck. Yeah, like, he was he's a, so fucking good at this he was a, Yeah, he was a threat. You felt the threat from him in so yeah, many ways. he's so fucking good. Yeah, so <laughs> I was on board. Yeah, like, when it, by the time Bradley Cooper comes in, I, whatever they have at that moment, I just want it to be safe. Because it's it's very pure compared to what else is going on around them, and yeah. uh, I, it do like the fact that they don't they can't quite figure out what it is kind of adds to that that innocence of it. They're they're kind of they're too both immature in their own way to figure out what they want to like how they want to be together. Uh, so yeah, I I'm I'm with it. <laughs> I hope I I hope they can keep it, and then by the end they do. Uh, I'm just thinking about that Bradley Cooper scene, and it almost. So, like, I heard that they didn't know Bradley Cooper was in the movie. <laughs> and that, like, it was, like, early in the shooting that they are, like, going to shoot this scene. And then Bradley Cooper just walks up wow. in character. And they're like, oh, shit, we didn't know who was playing this character. <laughs> That's great. Uh, He's in his first, doesn't he just choke someone in his first, I, I don't like, remember. grab somebody in his first appearance. And, and also, like, we don't know, like, when in 
their interactions in the movie was like the first time that it was sprung on them that it was Bradley Cooper. But um, when he's in that truck with them, it really does feel like part of what's driving him is the idea of like, I'm going to act the fuck out of this. Like, I'm going to like yeah, yeah. crush the performances of these children. <laughs> like, it is insane. Yeah, it's great. It's it's such a great turn because it also it features this realism aspect of like the gas strike happening in Los Angeles. So it's like it, it feels like it's it's tying into this real thing, this real like sort of aspect of the world, and then like yeah, like this, this character who's a real who, he's playing a real character as opposed to there's like uh, Sean Penn is playing like another actor, but he's like like not playing him in name but bradley cooper's playing this person like in name yeah. he's like he's actually, husband. yeah he's playing like actually playing this guy and in the trailer there's this moment of him like breaking windows and kind of having this breakdown and that's yeah. not in this movie i wanted to see that <laughs> yeah and that sort of that goes into what i like want a little bit more i felt like they could have just trimmed a little bit off the beginning and the ending just give us a little bit more into this world because i feel like that would have been a lot more just visceral and a lot more energetic and fun to watch but like i like i'm saying like we the movie that we have is is doing something a little bit different it's sort of drifting these characters through these other worlds and so maybe we'll get those scenes on the blu-ray because uh yeah i know like during punch drunk love there's like tons of mattress man commercials with full seamer hoffman (laughs) (laughs) uh I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. I don't have the Boogie Nights Blu-ray, but I wouldn't be surprised if all like the porn movies they made are on there, like trailers and stuff. But... Yeah, I want to go back because yeah, watching Cooper Hoffman just makes me want to watch more of Seymour Philip Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman. That reminds me, do you guys want to rank top three PTA movies? Um, sure. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> go. Ahead. I mean, you can start. You, I insist. No, okay. so I, I'll go. So, all right. So, okay. I, I have the Wikipedia up yeah, right now, so okay. I'll list them. So, 1997, Boogie Nights. 1999, Magnolia. 2002, Punch Truck Love. 2007, There Will Be Blood. 2012, The Master. 2014, Inherent Vice. 2017, Phantom Thread. And 2021, Licorice Pizza. Ooh. Okay. Number three for me is Phantom Thread. Okay. Number two, There Will Be Blood. That was that was a great year for movies. Yeah. I think that was my first PTA movie. Um, and then number one, it's got to be Punch Drunk Love. Interesting. Yeah. I like it when he's... Well, I was going to say I like it when he's sweet, but There Will Be Blood is his like, most pitch black movie. <laughs> is like, yeah, yeah. I think... Okay, I'll go mine. I think There Will Be Blood is his best movie. But it's not my favorite movie. Yeah. So I think I'll go. Yeah, I'll yeah. go number three, Licorice Pizza. Number two, There Will Be Blood. And number one, Punch Drunk Love. Um, I think I need. To, I need to rewatch uh, Boogie Nights because it's been a long time since I've seen it. That's a good list. Yeah, I need to rewatch Boogie Nights and Punch Drunk Love because it's been a while since I've seen them. Um, I watched. I think yeah, uh, There Will Be Blood was the first PTA movie I saw, and it was like just completely I, I wasn't prepared it completely I arrested I think that me, might yeah. be the first movie i saw in theaters twice <laughs> i was like i need to do this again uh, that's great yeah but yeah first, um, first johnny greenwood score i saw in theaters too that was yeah. that blew me away uh, he's coming up in the next movie but yeah as far as my, my he's in three, both of these this is a johnny greenwood <laughs> double feature oh really I, I, yeah oh, in power one. of the dog yeah oh okay that that's great i didn't even, i didn't make that connection until right now so. Um, but if I had to choose my top three PTA, I think uh, number three would be Punch Drunk Love, and then two 
would be uh, I think it's gonna be inherent vice and the number one might be the master because like Damn. very different I, list <laughs> yeah I really enjoyed the master I like I only have seen it once but I just knew that like when I was watching it I was just like this is just so visually lo- like it just like, I don't know what he did with the cameras in that movie but just like those shots on the beach were just like just so fucking gorgeous and just like just so colorful and just so like full of life i don't know just and then we have this whole commentary about scientology and uh joaquin phoenix is great but then we have uh philip seymour hoffman doing the l ron hubbard thing and yeah i'm Uh, I'm, I'm gonna put that up there that ending (laughs) probably his most haunting ending yeah yeah the master to me feels like a movie that is like beyond me somehow like there's like i haven't like unlocked like that that's movie. precisely like why i chose it to um, <laughs> to appear more intellectual okay. i have i have a reading of that movie that it's actually about filmmaking and that uh the master that philip seymour hoffman's character is a stand-in for paul thomas anderson and that joaquin phoenix is a stand-in for the audience and that after there will be blood which was like regarded as this like you know incredible movie incredibly important movie in american cinema yeah. uh there was a cult of paul thomas anderson and we get philip seymour hoffman literally drinking film processing chemicals to get wasted uh, i think like one of their f- like final scenes together might be in a movie theater i think it's the castro theater maybe um because i know parts of that movie are in castro theater but um wow that's great and like his son is like uh sort of undermining like the work that philip seymour hoffman's doing and he's like you know he's just making it up as he goes like it's uh he's not yeah it's i think so i had an interpretation of that movie where it's just it's about paul thomas anderson grappling with his own success as a filmmaker but um i like that i really enjoyed yeah. that interpretation <laughs> i'm looking forward to rewatching it with that in mind but yeah, yeah like recently mm-hmm. like after you were like really a big fan of licorice pizza i was like i watched it in theaters and i was like this is cool but like it just didn't click but then i watched it in hair and vice and i literally i watched it as soon as i was done i played it like right after and i haven't done that for a movie mm, in a okay. really long time which like i just watched it and just was just fucking just in love with just the world of it and That's i think it's just because it's like I'm, I'm into more like the psychedelics and the noir and just what that is and licorice pizza is more it's like yeah it's kind of it's not a rom-com but it's more it's about romance and about love and finding yourself in this i think it's also like a, uh, PTA like at a reset because like it's Cooper Hoffman in like an early role we have Alana Haim in like an early role and it's kind mm-hmm. of like at this point in his career where he's worked with Daniel Day-Lewis and Philip Seymour Hoffman he's worked with Joaquin Phoenix some of the greatest actors of our fucking generation literally they've been given accolades their entire careers and now it's like okay now I'm gonna restart and do like a, a sprawling small like romance kind of coming of age movie and I'm like okay I think just personally me i'm a 30 year old cynical asshole so i'm like okay it just isn't clicking for me but like all of the older darker stuff like phantom thread lovers poisoning each other fuck yeah like i'm there 100 like I'm, he's a hungry I'm boy t- like i'm totally there and so i don't know i think it just goes into personal bias a little for me yeah but. yeah i think it really comes down to personal taste like yeah. inherent vice and like noir and mystery detective stories those are something that i've always had i feel like difficulty appreciating yeah because yeah. like for me so, so I'm, I'm gonna say this and this kind of conflicts with my appreciation of licorice pizza but for me what like really drives my interest and like allows me to cling to the story is like conflict 
Um, yeah. And I and like I guess with licorice pizza, maybe it's like tension because we have the tension between these two characters, uh, the romantic chemistry. And like with a lot of like detective stories, it's all about like mystery and like the question and you know seeking seeking answers, diving further in. And yeah, I think that's yeah. a harder thing for me to get hooked on. Um, but yeah, that's just I, yeah, that's a matter of taste. Thomas, you'd probably like uh, the Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould, um, sixty-nine. Okay, it's pretty good. Yeah, check it out. Um, shall we move on to the Power of the Dog? <laughs> yes. All right, I will read the description. Uh, Power of the Dog, 2021, Jane Campion. Charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe in those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. Uh-oh. Kevin, once again, our guest. <laughs> How about you start us off? Tell us what did you think of The Power of the Dog. Thank you, Mr. Corona. Um... <laughs> The, at a broad level, this movie is about people who are really uncomfortable in their own skin. And it kind They're of... They're hide, would you say? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, no, I would never say that. Um, and it kind of, for me, it kind of just leaves it there. But uh, it, it, it was kind of directionless. And it wasn't, it wasn't the most interesting to me to watch, to, to have a kind of a... An interesting character just kind of observed. I wish there was a little more going on. He's a fascinating character and the uh the juxtaposition of like what he is of what's going on inside him is really interesting. Uh it just I just think it stretches on a little bit too much. Um but yeah, like I thinking about it more after watching I enjoy thinking about it more than I actually enjoy watching it I think and and thinking about what's going on inside his head what's making him act in certain ways that's fair uh, that's a fair yeah assessment. yeah what about you guys uh, go ahead Thomas um I honestly I was on board with sort of Kevin's opinion like I didn't really think I would like this movie this was one of those movies that was nominated for best picture that I was like okay I don't know much about it and I wasn't really latching onto this other movies I was really excited about and this was not one of them but after watching it even like uh, like it's broken into chapters and that, that sort of helps me as a person with a really short attention span I was like oh this is a good point to like pause at <laughs> yeah. it like, starts off like, chat, like part one and then part two and then part two and so I was like oh I can take a break here once I dedicated my time to this, I really fell in love with this movie, and I thought it was fucking fantastic. And I, uh, I think there's, it is slow. I think there are some parts towards the end where, yeah, it doesn't really sort of conclude exactly with the, a lot of the themes that it sets forth. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things at play here dealing with like uh, homosexuality and power play and. Like just the just the whole politics of just like how these are playing out in the West, and so there's a lot of things that are in the orbit of this movie. But at the end, we sort of are left with a pretty small story about like how this son is dealing with this like really overbearing character who is very much struggling with his identity. So yeah, I think it, it does pair well with Licorice Pizza. With it, sorry, Licorice Pizza, where they're both movies about identity. Looks like they play out very differently, and uh, Licorice Piece is a lot more fun and sprawling, and has comedic moments. And uh, the power of the dog is much more of a, a severe 
There were some laughs. Uh, There's some better laughs. <laughs> okay, I, I wanted to ask. <laughs> From, but like overall, it's a did you fast yeah? Did you guys find this movie funny? No, I, I was no, no. laughing for quite a bit. To me, with so many uncomfortable characters, that's a big source of comedy. Uh, especially like characters just deeply uncomfortable, just being in their own skin, just being themselves. Uh, I just I don't know. It's weird. I I can't help but find those characters walking around and trying to trying to come off as not uncomfortable pretty funny like no, that, uh jesse, that was definitely a note i put jesse in Plemons. jesse Plemons, yeah like just just the act of like when he's in the bathroom with Kristen dunst just kind of seeing him waddle around he seems so out of place and just a bathroom he seems just so... laughing at jesse Plemons. <laughs> i think he's playing the character you know? okay i got a question for you yeah. how old do you think jesse Plemons is Ooh. he was in friday night lights <laughs> thomas don't look at that long ago <laughs> i'm not gonna type a single thing uh, uh early 30s Really he is also married to Kirsten Dunst, which Jesse is... Jesse Plemons. Uh, Thomas, what do you, how old do you think Jesse Plemons is? I think Jesse Plemons is... Uh... <laughs> it's just weird saying his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think he's a young 27. Really? Hmm. Okay. I was l- so in this movie, they say something like, where were you 25 years ago? You were at college. Like, no, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. He was at a college, so he's supposed to be like 45? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, like maybe he's like thirty nine. Is what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Jesse Plemons is thirty three. Yeah, yeah. So he's my age. That was hard for me to believe. But apparently, both of you think he's a very young man. Uh, so I'm alone on that one, I guess. I it's a little it's <laughs> inspirational. Jesse Plemons is our age. We we still have time to <laughs> get it's an awesome. Oscar level. Yeah. <laughs> I I I think he's great in this movie. Honestly, like all jokes aside, I think he's really great in this movie. I think Kirsten Dunst is fantastic. I think everyone is putting really good performances, putting on really good performances here. It's just overall, it's just a weird movie to sort of unpack because it, it is uh, it is very coy about what it is until about halfway through. And then once we sort of get the reveal yeah. that this is a movie about sexuality, homosexuality, and these like sort of characters breaking out of these masculine barriers in ways that are appropriate for them, then it's like, okay, this is a movie that is delivering these things in a way that is much more coy. So when I started to rewatch it, a lot of the uh, the dialogue was really interesting, especially like the scene where uh, Phil invites Peter into the into the stable and like sits him onto Bronco Henry's state, like onto a saddle, and he like like almost everything he says to him in that moment is like a euphemism. Like in some ways, like all right, I hope you're ready to get onto this, and like it's <laughs> gonna get pretty deeper after yeah. this. Like, like every like uh, as I was watching, I was just, <laughs> well, I was watching, I was just like, oh shit, like <laughs> like is this supposed to be like? the comedy level but like it's sincere like it was very sweet like it's a very sweet movie and it, it is not making fun of those things but it, right. it's like i don't know it, it does i liked how um the kid yeah, well, looking back on it you can kind of see uh, if there's ever spoilers let's let's call them out just yeah. just because i feel like this will be an easy one to get the spoilers with so yeah. yeah just heads up spoiler for a twist <laughs> okay or for for the direction that it goes like i like how you can looking back on what the kid ended up doing you can see how he kind of starts the process as early as he did when he walks up to or when he's walking through the camp to look at some birds in a tree and benedict cumberbatch calls out to him and the kid walks up to him and he's like do you want me uh he you know he could have phrased that he's already uh, yeah he could have phrased that in any any kind of way but he just says plainly you want me yeah yeah and uh and i was expecting gears are already turning to like 
say something in response to that to like kind of call it out he's kind of thrown off to like you know undermine what the way he asked that question but he didn't yeah because Um, at that point the kid has all the cards because he saw him bathing naked and he found his collection (laughs) right that's it yeah here's a question for both of you have you have either of you seen brokeback mountain i've not okay so when i was watching this i was like is this a gay cowboy movie? I don't know when I like deciphered it, but like midway through, and I was like, I think this might be a gay cowboy movie. But after the point where they have that turn, there's this really fantastic scene where Peter walks up to the birds and like he like observes the birds inside of the tree, and all of the cowboys are just saying horrible shit to him yeah. as he does it. He walks back to Benedict. Then after that, it's like after they sort of have that realization at the lake where he's like finds the stash and does that it was like a lot of the cowboys are just shirtless for the rest yeah. of the movie <laughs> it's like like after Bender, uh, yeah, Bender it was like a calendar that. or something yeah. it's like after like it's even really i find it really fascinating in the, the first half of the movie it's like they go inside the bar and they're like well what what's phil gonna do like uh, like like, all right, the boss is walking out, so the, we're all going to follow the boss. And so they're all doing exactly what he does. And then when we get to this midpoint where they have this interaction and he starts to open up, then all of the cowboys suddenly start, like, doing all of their activities without shirts on. They're all <laughs> yeah, bathing together. Yeah. yeah, like, it's, like, literally, like, once he, once Phil unlocks that, like, all of the other cowboys in the movie, like, just, just like, yeah, hanging out without shirts on, like, yeah, giving just the like, back rubs. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's like, once the leader, like, does it, and it's like, they, they all fall suit. And There's I like a Top Gun super, volleyball scene. I, yeah, I thought it was so fascinating. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> just like, the entire ranch, it's just like, shirtless. Uh, I found out that it's based off of a book written in 67, yeah. which, which makes a lot of sense in hindsight, like, the the way like things like that happen the way it's based off of like one outsider being comfortable with who he is kind of showing the rest a group of oppressed showing people. someone the ropes oh <laughs> no he gets he well they he thinks he's being shown the ropes but really yeah um and his his like acceptance of who he is getting like cha- changing the world changing the rest of the world uh yeah it, it made sense in hindsight I think my my problem with this movie was that early on it feels like we're focusing on the conflict between Phil and George, and then all that stuff completely takes a backseat in the second half. Yeah. Um, and so I felt like I was, and yeah, I'm, I guess I'm struggling to, is this a problem with the movie that it feels like it's going one way and then it goes another way? Or does this actually need to, or did this movie actually kind of like forget about its character in a way? Um, no, I felt that because I was just like, I thought this was going to be a movie that focused on their relationship, and then he completely, dis- yeah, he completely he, like, drops he, off. Yeah, he, he disappears. Because uh, yeah, like Phil is being a, a dick to George, like pretty much immediately. It's like before before George even becomes interested in Rose, and so it was like, okay, why is he such a dick? Like, what is this conflict that he has with his brother? And it feels like, oh, he needs his brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's actually, like, not in control here. Um, it, and I was expecting that to be explored more. But it, Yeah, it made, me, they, it made me wonder if whatever he went through with Bronco Henry is something that they both went through. It's just they have different ways of dealing with it. Mm. And Because yeah, I noticed the first time, the very first time he mentions Bronco Henry to his brother, his, his brother's face darkens really noticeably. And he does seem like the kind of guy that would just bottle everything up. Hmm. Um, and so it's like, yeah, on some level, Benedict Cumberbatch just needs 
someone who knows what he's been through is kind of how I took that. Yeah. What did you think about um, Kirsten Dunst's performance in it? Because she starts off really bright, and I, I, I think it's really interesting too that like we recently had this whole Spider-Man uh, movie that was, had all this adoration towards like Tobey Maguire. And he's very Spider-Man. There's also some fan reaction, be like, "Hey, like, what about like the Mary Janes in this movie?" And I feel like Kirsten Dunst is an actress that like we, we like it's sort of been I don't want to say undervalued, but like someone like is is really good on screen when she's used well and i think she fits into this western world very well which they have her on these like little like red like wool costumes and she's kind of like playing the piano very coyly and i think when she starts to break down i think like i don't know like her performance is really good i want to know what you thought about that yeah agreed she she makes you feel that uncomfortableness and especially the scene with her and the visiting Native Americans. Yeah, That's yeah. where it all comes together. And she, re- yeah, she really communicates just how desperate for some kind of connection she is. Uh, yeah, she's a natural. Kristen Dunst is a natural. Like, it's crazy. I like she was great. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy that she's been acting since she's, what, like eight or something? She was in a, she was in a vampire movie with Tom Cruise as a oh, kid. Oh, interview with a vampire. Yeah, yeah. she was a child uh-huh. vampire. And I just was thinking about that during the movie. Yeah, and she's I think she's like 40-something now, and it's just crazy to be able to see someone work who's been doing that for so long and just how natural she's able to make it seem. Also, fun fact, um, so Anna Paquin was the youngest actress uh, nominated and received the award for Best Actress uh, directed by a movie by Jane Champion. Okay. Is that how it's pronounced, Champion? Uh, uh, maybe. <laughs> um, Jane Champion. But yeah, I yeah I thought Kirsten Dunst Champion. was really great in this. Uh, I just feel like I feel like I would have liked to see more of that character's like descent because like I I can understand someone who's you know unfortunately a suicide widow clinging to their child and the anxiety that fills them with the feeling that they're losing their child or that their child is in any danger. Um, but I feel like I made, maybe that needed to be illustrated a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but how did you guys feel on that? Like, do you feel like her descent into alcoholism, like totally made sense and was paced? Well, like I did actually buy that because of, how brutal Benedict Cumberbatch you can see like previously yeah you take that one segment of how he undermined her piano performance and you extract that over what like a few years past yeah man living with that I know brutal yeah yeah that that makes it very believable and especially being a woman at that time I mean I don't 20 years didn't is that what I, I I forgot. Yeah, it seemed like because yeah, like Pete is yeah. a, like, more maybe an adult like at the beginning. Yeah, still, yeah, it's like a short college. amount of time. Yeah. It's like the amount of time it would take to send her son to school and for right. him to sort of come back. Yeah, but also they really dial it in the fact that they're like you have to imagine it's the old west, and so it's just like oh yeah, like when the I think it's 
not not the relatives, but like the first couple that shows up, like, oh yeah, like you have a nice little island of civilization here. And so with that line comes so much packed in with just like, oh yeah, we expect Pressure. certain yeah. things. So when you say your wife is yeah. a piano player and she's a good piano player, like we want to be entertained yeah. Yeah. for probably a couple of hours. You know, we want to hear some intense. Yeah, yeah, like it's just like, oh fuck, like they probably were in a horse and a carriage for the past two yeah. weeks. <laughs> they like they want to hear some, like, they want to hear some, some Chopin. They want to talk about Tutankhamen. They want to hear the high society thing. And then Benedict Cumberbatch walks in. He hasn't bathed. He's just been yeah. shoving mud all over himself. And it's like, oh yeah, this is the old west versus the frontier in a very real way. Or, sorry, no, sorry, civilization versus the frontier in a very real way. And I thought that was I I, I love that kind of stuff. I think they do do a good job of like painting her as someone who's completely out of her element when she moves into the space because yeah, it's like she doesn't want the grand piano like that's too much for her she goes and helps clean dishes when that's not expected of her yeah, yeah. like this is an environment that she's not really comfortable in um and so yeah i think they do do a good job there yeah, what did you think about the whole scene with the rabbit where he, like, catch the Peter catches the rabbit and they have the whole moment with her and they're, like, trying to catch it and she, like, really adores it. And, and then he, he's, the next scene later, he's dissecting it and taking notes on it. And yeah. This, he's a surgeon, so he needs to rip this animal. What did you think about that? I knew the rabbit was going to die, but I assumed it was going to yeah, be... Yeah, I thought Phil was going to kill Yeah, it. I thought Phil yeah. was going to teach him a lesson about being a man yet yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that was that kind of hints at the turn it's going to take. Uh, but you have to give the movie credit because it still doesn't reveal its hand at that point. Yeah. It's not It's not like... Because I was like, ah, oh, yeah, sure, he's a doctor. Yeah. Of course he's going to It's still a little disturbing, and it kind of changes the way I feel about that character, and it, it makes me more, you know, think more guarded of him. Like, okay, what is he capable he's of? too strong. I know, yeah. <laughs> I get, they're hinting at it again. Um, yeah, that was, that was well done. I think the part of the issue is... Uh, I, I kind of wish I had gotten more from about the kid, um, mm-hmm. but it's like they can't. I don't know. They can't give too much because then the twist becomes more obvious. I think they do. I I, I think they do a good job because like the movie starts with a narration from him mm-hmm. saying yeah. like he, to he had to protect yeah. his mother. Like what kind of man would I be if I didn't protect my mother? Uh, and so it's like if you're watching that with that in mind of like, okay, where's this fucking going? <laughs> then like, eventually it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but going from that to the movie, primarily focusing on the uh, conflict between Phil and George and their relationship to me that I was expecting more from that. So I don't know. You guys really yeah. didn't get much comedy out of this Bronco Henry, <laughs> the <laughs> constant references to Bronco Henry weren't cracking you guys up. No. It felt like a Mr. Show sketch to me sometimes. Yeah. Bronco. Yeah, I would love to see the Mr. Show sketch. The fact that he had, they have a shrine dedicated to Bronco Henry. with the hearts on it. Yeah. Yeah. With Bob. Wait, so have you heard about, the, yeah. have you heard about the whole Sam Elliott thing? Oh, uh, I just saw I that. heard a little bit about that. Yeah. yeah so basically Sam Elliott was on the podcast with uh, Mark Marin, And so Mark and Marin was asking about it. And I'm going to, it's, it's been condensed down to him saying like, Hey, like, first of all, it's kind of weird that this Western is shot in New Zealand, which is not a valid criticism. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I think this is incredibly beautiful yeah. in terms yeah, of the no, way it's shot. Like it looks fucking yeah, great. The whole thing with the wolf in the, like, like obviously I, w- I felt very, the barking dumb watching dog. This. 
Yeah, the, the, barking, the barking dog. I felt really dumb watching this movie. Obviously, I watched it in two chunks, but then seeing the barking dog thing, but also being really slow to realize that Peter killed Phil, I was like, oh, damn. Like, oh, yeah. I, like I was just like, I think I'm Spoiler just alert. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, we, we're deep in the spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, we, we talked about, yeah, like the fact that the very first line of this movie is like, what kind of man do I need to be to protect my mother? And that's like the overarching theme of what Peter does yeah. to Phil. But yeah, totally missed that. But yeah, it's, I don't know. There, it's just good. I think this movie is really great. And I think there's a lot of great stuff about it, but I, I kind of miss those things upon first viewing. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think for me, it's just like, there wasn't anything I fell in love with in this movie outside of like how good it looked. <laughs> like, like as soon as I started this movie, I was like, "Wow, this looks incredible!" Like, I was yeah, like, kind of, I was pretty pulled into that. But even like Johnny Greenwood's score, it's like I feel like there were moments where it was kind of used in a weird way, or I don't, I don't know. During the um, panoramas, or where the camera would just be circling around in a three sixty, everything felt really uneasy to me. Like the his score, the camera movement, and the clo- and the fact that they'd be doing a, a circle around on a close up of their faces there's just a lot of moments like that felt really off it felt like it was like trying to up the tension and up the feeling of unease mm-hmm. when i didn't necessarily feel like what was happening story-wise between the characters was deserving of that sort of like underlining right. uh, For like sure. cinematic underlining um, i feel that but it's like with licorice pizza like it's more like david bowie and like other songs yeah. like, there's no there's no like johnny greenwood coming through that yeah you know what I'm it's saying? it's like, rare with this is this this feels like the tension you get from watching like uh like there will like, be blood yeah like exactly. and i was yeah. yeah and that i think that's part of what bugged me is i was like this is no there will be blood <laughs> like gotcha. like this you, score yeah. the, the the way this score is being utilized like the film isn't like the, the score is building tension in a way that it's like uh it's like the score is running a race and it has left the rest of the narrative behind mm. i don't so know it feels a little unwarranted <laughs> yeah for sure for sure i was thinking of yeah, there would be blood a lot during this too sorry um no, go ahead please. and uh yeah like they're kind of similar characters phil and daniel plainview but Daniel Plainview, it's like he knows exactly what he is. I think throughout the entire movie, it's just what you're interested in as the audience is how is he hiding it from everyone around him? Uh, And like, at what point does he just decide to drop all pretenses of being a good or a human being? Uh, And then this was a little less interesting. This this character's inner conflict was a little less interesting to me. I just think I spotted it kind of early. So it was like, it was more a little more telegraphed to me like what he's going through yeah um, i also have a theory about daniel plainview <laughs> a weird theory that he's impotent uh mm-hmm. and like this is something that like i kind of just like bullshitted out of thin air but i, <laughs> I convinced someone <laughs> that like maybe it was the case uh <laughs> and is that like so he doesn't have a child of his own he never has any sort of romantic entanglement with anyone and uh you know he adopts a bastard in a basket and at one point in the movie before he a man so spoilers for there will be blood (laughs) a man yeah a man claims to be his brother he takes him to a brothel and he's just like looking at him with hate the whole time Mm. and i feel like him taking him to that brothel was like a way to feed his own anger to get him like hyped for killing this guy because of his own impotence and Mm. 
what he's really after. He's after the big cum. He's after the big ejaculation, which is which is fucking towers of oil spurting all over the fucking place. And so at the end, when his child, his deaf son, comes to him with a wife, he's like, "Fuck you! You're like you're a bastard in a basket," and he like completely disowns him because he already got um, what he wanted. Be- well, it's because it's like also like him finding romantic entanglement is like kind of. Uh, spitting in the face of like his own conflict of like being someone who's impotent, <laughs> but this is also just some shit that I made. Up, I kind so. of, I kind of was on the same page as you. I was, I was more like, it's just he, the pursuit of that oil is what consumes him, regardless. It's, it's just he might it's be great. Yeah, he might be potent anyways, but it, he doesn't. He's so focused, he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. He just, he just can't have human, actual like real human relationships and human bonding. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's going back to what I was saying earlier. It's just like the, the Paul Thomas Anderson making that feels just so much more dialed in in trying to make an acute artistic statement. With this, with Licorice Pizza, it feels a bit more free form, like, yeah. like restarting, like a, a new era is beginning where it's like, okay, we're just going to start from square one. We're just going to do a very, like, a very low burn, a simmer like love story it's not gonna be it's not gonna have any scenes that are like really jumping out like there's no like oh i drink your milkshake in licorice pizza that doesn't really happen like like, it's not trying to do those things where it's not trying to really catch you off guard or like maybe with the bradley cooper scene dude (laughs) i don't know that is like inserting like the scene of her driving down the hill in reverse in that truck yeah it's good it's good that is like like that to me is like it's a flex from Paul Thomas Anderson being like, look, I can still do tension. Mm-hmm. Like this is a movie that's just about these characters, but like, look how fucking tense this scene is. Yeah, no, I I'm totally with you, but you kind of see what I'm saying with the, like I feel like with him sort of similar to Tarantino after making a big statement like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, was like they sort of went big with something like There Will Be Blood or The Master, where they are talking about something really broad, and I think they're sort of going smaller with something like licorice pizza. Do you, do you agree with like sort of that yeah. scaling down? Is, is, do, you, is, do you see what I'm saying with that? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, a, it's a character piece and it kind of, it, there is a meandering quality to it. It does kind of feel like he wrote a bunch of scenes that he enjoyed and then just like put these two characters that he also enjoyed into them. Um, and yeah, it doesn't feel like, 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 There Will Be Blood feels a little bit more like an essay. Like, there's an objective that he is trying to achieve, whereas Licorice Pizza yeah. is like, we're going to spend some... It's a hangout movie. We're going to spend some time with these characters. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So, what do you gentlemen think about this whole Elden Ring? <laughs> yeah. In, what's in, that? Lieu of, in lieu of what have you been watching lately, we all know what we've been doing lately. Yeah, we all we all know what we've been watching lately. Elden fucking what do you think about Elden Ring. My goodness. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> well, guys, I've been watching a lot of classical silent film, actually. Oh, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 this game combines all the best trends of open world games and cuts out all the the BS ones. Yeah, and it's so refreshing to get a game that does not hold your hand, doesn't tell you where to go, doesn't give you objective markers. Uh, because we're adults, like treat us like you know, give show us some respect. <laughs> God damn it! <Yeah. laughs> it treats you with respect by just letting you figure things out and be yeah. be surprised, be scared, all that stuff. And that allows you to invest more of yourself in the game. The game isn't yeah. playing itself; but you are playing the game. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. my hot take 
for this <laughs> for Elden Ring is that like I wish I had more variety because I feel like and this was kind of um, a worry before the game even came out which is like these from software games are about combat at the core like um, and so like we just finished Bloodborne right before playing Elden Ring and Bloodborne it feels like the whole game is one long fucking challenge and like it kind of like twists into itself and it turns into itself and but it is mostly one long challenge and it's all about persevering and ex exploring in the sense of you know trying to yeah trying to understand the world better but it is all like one very tightly designed thing uh versus elden ring it feels like it is a cycle it is a uh, it is a it is a gameplay loop what they call so yeah, it's yeah. like you are exploring you're running into walls in every direction you go that are <laughs> walls of walls of difficulty until you find a wall that you can actually handle they're like i can break down this wall um and i think one of the problems is that if combat is your main way of engaging with the game like running around looking for combat that you can feasibly engage with becomes kind of a problem and it becomes kind of repetitious and yeah, yeah. i feel like when i say like the game could use more variety like looking at something like breath of the wild it's got combat it's got environmental puzzles uh looking at something like like the fucking gta games are ridiculous it's like it's got mostly just driving around <laughs> but it's also got like you can go bowling and throw darts and shit like that um Fucking, what were we? What's the other samurai game? Goes to Tsushima. Mm. Like you can go and haikus. do like, yeah, you can do yeah. haikus. You can like chop yeah. some bamboo to level up your <laughs> yeah, sword. Yeah. Like, and you could just like go to a village and like see like what the villagers are like, doing. Um, I kind of wish this movie, I kind of wish this game, sorry, <laughs> had like a village of NPCs where I could just like see people interacting and like chill out <laughs> and like just and like do something, <laughs> you know, relaxing rather than just like having hostility in every direction i go to <laughs> that's and... that uh from software trademark though isn't it like you are always a victim you're always yeah. there is no safe place yeah in a, you in got almost all of ghost of tsushima is crazy this, yeah yeah ghost of tsushima is oh i can like follow this fox around and like yeah. do just, haikus just and, with the box. yeah like i love like, oh, the bamboo things like it's meditative <laughs> like this is actually feeding into my mental health but you play fucking elden ring it's like yeah everywhere you go it's like you're just getting bitch slapped it's, like, <laughs> it's a new it's thing like, for it's me like, don't to walk die here. to <laughs> it's yeah. like don't go into this corner and you're into your monologue is just like again again <laughs> yeah it's like, ah, i could probably do it yeah yeah maybe i could do it better faster stronger or it's like all yeah, right i was gonna say i to run away <laughs> usually i don't like open world games because they tend to be pretty repetitive and mm -hmm. they tend to be kind of like really big and hollow but this game has just like reignited my love for just going around and just like finding those points of grace and it's like like you said you can sort of avoid those combat moments and just kind of it's like the game will allow you to continue to, to piece the map together and yeah. that's one thing that i've really enjoyed doing is like, okay can i just like sneak around and just like sort yeah. of stitch this how, map together like how much of this incredibly dangerous place can i reveal <laughs> before yeah, i die still, yeah. yeah but still also i picked the samurai class which started off with the bow and like a really good sword and so i think i was able to do things my friend adam wasn't able to do in the beginning but he also <laughs> he beat marguerite but i haven't done that i've done other things we've all all four of us have done like different things which i think is a really great thing about the totally. game we've all had very different experiences playing it like but we've all had that like 
sort of similar things, but like as far as like our paths and our levels and our classes are all different. It was like such a great thing about it. Okay, so we need to go around. How many hours, what class, and what level are you? <laughs> Kevin. No, you guys go first because I have a lot of answers. I think I'm like 40. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, damn. I'm like, I think I'm like level 45. I started as a, uh, fuck, I don't even remember now. Some guy with a spear. <laughs> it was like a, one of the. Prophet. Prophet, yeah. What's the prophet? Is the prophet the guy? Oh, no, yeah, it was a prophet. Uh, I started as a prophet. I hated that fucking spear at the beginning. <clears throat> it took me forever to find something that was better. Um, and I'm like 30 hours in now. Uh, but yeah, Thomas, what about you? Um, I've been playing a little bit less than you, but like <laughs> I'm, I, I'm still confident with where I'm headed. So I'm like 15 hours in, but I'm like level 32. Like, I'm like, I've just been cramming those runes in and like finding like, yeah, going through the catacombs and getting the specific bosses and kind of taking it slow on the outside of the main story mode but still like trying to get those things that let me edge a little bit forward so yeah. pretty happy yeah like like all of my spells and swords or everything are like all plus three right now nice. so pretty happy nice yeah so my latest character <laughs> level i want to say level 16 and probably took oh, me like 10 hours or 15 hours. I try not to keep track of the hours. I know I just don't keep track. I just want to, I want to experience it. I don't want to track the numbers, but uh, yeah, he's uh, the inquisitor. Basically he's like a holy assassin, which is, I should have just started with that because that's always my favorite archetype. Um, like the witch hunter type is awesome. So yeah, that's like yeah. my third character. <laughs> my great tragic flaw with these games is like, I love the possibilities that you're describing, like yeah. being able to experience different things. I just want to try them all. I want to get a taste of all of them. So yeah, I, took, yeah. I, I started with the dual wielder, like desert warrior guy. Got pretty far with him, but then I decided magic was just not the, the best. Magic in this game is, to me, kind of not as interesting as the holy spells. So then okay, I okay. went from that to like a Conan the Barbarian type, <laughs> just a giant jacked guy running. <laughs> and I was trying to role play it. So like, I can't do sneak attacks. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't believe in stealth. That's, that's not manly enough. So I had yeah, to run yeah. up to people to their face and whack them. And then I was like, eh, that gets kind of old. So then I, I, I got the best of both worlds with like a holy warrior. Yeah. And that's mm. kind of what I'm doing. I'm doing strength and faith. Yeah. Um, nice, nice. Which is all right. It's like, I kind of, I'm kind of jealous of some of the intelligence magic. That's like, so I might, and, and like, I keep picking up dex weapons and I'm like, I can't use any of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm, I'm learning to uh, embrace two-handing incredibly gigantic weapons. <laughs> so. Have you have either of you explored Kalid much? Uh, is that the manor? Oh no, Kalid is in the northeast, right? Yes. Um, a little bit. I found some sites of grace, but I haven't like. I don't know. There's no way I can fucking survive over there. Yeah, I was one yeah. away from it. I got there with Daniel, and he was like, "Don't go there." This <laughs> yeah, just fucking destroyed. Yeah, it's great. You're not like, ready. Oh, man, it just so many like moments of that. I was just like, "Oh fuck!" Like this just this is so much fun. Just like a big ass. A and lot of looks, dragons. A lot of dragons. That part, yeah, it looks. Ooh. So there's something like the, is it the red rot, the crimson rot, or something like that? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, that whole rot. area is like diseased. I don't know what it means story wise. I really don't know what's happening in the story in this game. Yeah, yeah. I want to know. That's what's cool. Like with some other from games, I just kind of can ignore the story and the the lore. But I want it. It's you feel like more of an active participant in uncovering the history because yeah. you can. You're just given free reign, so it's cool. You get to like uncover little bits and pieces. 
It's funny, on my desktop, like, little Steam notifications keep popping up, and it's always, like, a different friend playing out there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, everyone's getting off work. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was trying to, like, figure out how to do the multiplayer, because I was trying to summon oh, my friend. Summon me, man. <laughs> uh, like, that's, that's so, since there isn't a fishing mini game or, like, some <laughs> other random bullshit that I can do to chill out, like, getting summoned is my... Like, I want to chill out in Elden Ring. Low stakes. Like, I can't play Gwent, like, in Witcher. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I'm just going to invade somebody else's place and help them beat a boss or something. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the the password thing, just so to make sure that no one else can invade in or... Yeah, you have to go to the multiplayer menu to enter that. So if you press start, there's actually a multiplayer section, and then you press triangle, and then, yeah, you can enter there. I was messing around. Yeah, we tried for a little bit, couldn't figure it out. I mean, but yeah, servers have been kind of iffy too because everyone is fucking playing this game right now. So I felt like I needed to uh, add some diversity so that I can keep enjoying it. Yeah, because like hopping between something else. Or... Yeah, because if I I know if I play a game of open world game that that's good that that is that good. It's like you can get uh, burnt out. I don't know. I'm looking for, yeah, I am looking forward to like going back to Ghost of Tsushima because like I only finished Act One in that. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be after Elden Ring. It'll feel like a nice change of pace. Mm. Yeah, because Elden Ring is yeah much more richer. Yeah, it's just fucking punishing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. let me just take it well, easy and clear up whole is the camp. Wrong, yeah, yeah, rigid is the wrong word for it. It, it. it lets you do anything you want to and so within that freedom you just have to be very smart with how you approach it hardest boss you guys have fought so far the crucible knight i can't beat this fucking dude he's a he's an everjail boss yeah um Uh, i don't think i've encountered that um i think the hardest thing so far for me has been um actually i haven't in like i haven't tried to fight marguerite Margit, I think. Margit, seriously, yet. I've uh, just been doing small. Totally down to be summoned for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm down. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to, like, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to find the guy in the castle in the south. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to Oh, okay. I'm totally down to be summoned for that, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll do I've it. already done both yeah. those. So, yeah. Yeah, Margit's, yeah. I need to beat Margit on my own. He helped me beat Margit once. I can see how we can do it. Yeah. But I need to try him on my own. He's the hardest yeah. for me so far. Too. I think I only oh, played yeah. him. I, I'm not. I think I beat him just with the NPC summon. Oh, uh, there we go. I'll do that. Yeah, it's an NPC summon and a jellyfish summon. <laughs> yeah, jelly. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Praise the jelly. The classic combo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. I was gonna ask uh, if anyone wants to mention anything they've been watching this week. Yeah, I. Uh... I, I dipped my toes into Zatoichi for the first time. Oh, yeah. I got the whole fucking box set, dude. Yeah, how big is that box set? <laughs> it's like 26 box. movies Oh, my goodness. Shit. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't know if I can really do much of these because they're, they're all kind of, they seem to be kind of like, okay. Like, there's so many good samurai movies out there that uh, the I guess the draw of the Zatoichi movie is just, it's kind of like Bonanza. It's like comfortable. You know what's going to happen. Uh, there aren't too many twists or surprises. Uh, and he's just a really cool, fun character. But yeah, I don't think I can I can stick with it for <laughs> yeah. too long. We do have to do a whole year. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. I started a lot with uh, yeah, and I was looking up like where to start. What what's going to give me the best entry point? And I started with uh, Zatoichi Challenged, and it's if this is the best That's entry fine. point, it's like okay, there's a really annoying kid, uh, but yeah, it's it's okay. It doesn't really make me want to dive deeper. I'm trying to think of what I've been watching. 
I think it's just all been Elden Ring. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It does that. That's fair enough. Yeah, like, I've been trying to juggle my time between Elden Ring. I've also been diving pretty deep into Better Call Saul. Like, the final season, the sixth season, is airing <gasps> oh, in, no. like, a couple of weeks. Okay. And so I've been, like, trying to catch up. And so I'm currently on episode wow. seven Six of the seasons. second season. Is yeah, that as many seasons I'm, as Breaking Bad was? Breaking Bad um, was five. Breaking Bad was five. Wow. Yeah, Breaking yeah. Bad was five. And I mean, even like, like my relationship <laughs> with Breaking Bad is really fucked up because I I got spoiled at the season three finale. It was just like a really major point uh, okay, in that yeah. whole team, that whole show. And I was like, oh, I think I'll start watching here after getting spoiled that, and then came to the show really late but i love better call saul i think it's much more into my whole thing of being interested in interested in crime and legal stuff and not necessarily the gangster meth cooking side but more of just like oh we're just gonna do legal schemes and like bending the law i i I really find that stuff really fascinating and then bob odenkirk is great he's he's just really fantastic you know he had a little health scare on set Mm -hmm. a couple of months ago and like I don't know, I just I really fucking love him. I know you like um, Mr. Show yeah. and everything, but this I, I think Better Call Saul is, is a little bit of a different. It's thing. totally like, different. <laughs> yeah, him doing the prestige. It's drama. really it was really weird to like see him in Breaking Bad after like growing up watching Mr. Show. Yeah, it's like yeah. wow, awesome! Like I'm so glad Bob Odenkirk is in this. Yeah, even like I was watching some of um, Tom Goes to the Mayor, and he oh, shows yeah. up in that show. It's like yeah, he like produced like, it. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, they'll do the whole thing where it's, like, the uh, quasi-animated, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to describe it, where it's, like, an animated show, but it's very stilted and not fluid, but then there's moments where there's live-action characters, and he's one of the live-action people I th- they bring it I, to. I think he's, like, responsible for the success of Tim and Eric, because I remember way back in the day, before Tom Goes to the Mayor, even, uh, going to Bob Odenkirk's website... And he had, like, a links I like section. It's like, what the fuck was I doing going to Bob Unker's website? (laughs) But he had, like, a websites I like section. Maybe it was, like, a Mr. Show website. But, um, and it had uh, Tim and Eric. And, like, that's how I discovered them was, like, they had, like, prank calls posted on there and, like, a bunch of, like, little internet shorts. And then, and, like, one of them was Tom Goes to the Mayor, which I think was, like, mostly, like, prank calls, too. Um... And, or or they were in the Tom Goes to the Mayor like animated style, um, and yeah, and then he produced that show, and so yeah, I think he like kind of helped make those guys. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm I'm really happy that he's sort of a part of that Adult Swim adjacent like creators, yeah. and also part of this TV show that is considered some of, like by some the best drama like modern. Like, yeah, recently, so. wild shit. <laughs> really cool yeah Vince Gilligan his like entire world is just so much fun like even if you're not interested in like um like Jimmy McGill like oh he might like break the whole bar so like no not he might break the rules and get disbarred that's kind of the whole thing like, he's he's bending the rules too much he's you know he's he's crossing the line if that's not interesting to you it also goes into like Mike dealing with Tuco and like all these uh, other yeah. like Mex- Mexican gangsters who are literally just fucking shooting each other in the fucking head. And so I was like, if one of those things is yeah. interesting to you, then there's something else really good for you. So it's it's great and looking forward to seeing how the show wraps up. That reminds me, when you're done with that, you should check out um, the Breaking. It's basically a Breaking Bad imitator, but still good. Uh, uh, Ozark. 
on Netflix. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I've seen the first two seasons, okay. and I really liked go. it. Yeah, I'm on the second season now. Like, there are so many parallels to Breaking Bad. Like, I love, yeah, I love Mike and Breaking Bad, and I love their version of Mike, uh, Buddy, the guy with the heart yeah, condition. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those characters are always gold. Just like every scene they're in is just because they're so on a higher plane than everyone else. They know what's going on, so it's like they always have the upper hand. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I love talking about Ozark because it is like, yeah, it's very much like oh, a cousin of Breaking Bad, but it does it does those things really well because it's set in like the deeper South, and you have Jason Bateman having his really affluent family just sort of clashing with like the female villain, sort of like anti-hero it's like like a girl she's really badass like she's like the deep southern draw i forget what her character's name is but she's she's yeah. really great fuck but, you marty that's the yeah, main line <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's great and yeah fucking ozark is a lot of fun and that's another show that is about to end it's going to be mm. in it's uh the second half of its last season or whatever it's going to be sometime next year and so yeah these shows are wrapping up and good time to catch up wrap it up put it to rest <laughs> Well, I, I don't want to be that final about it, but okay, <laughs> sure, yeah. If you insist, I mean, yeah, they're going to kill all I'm, the actors. <laughs> as per usual, as per their contract. We can always have the show continue on. It could be like Futurama, where it gets canceled, and it gets revived, and it gets canceled, and it gets revived. And... There was a show I watched as a kid called, it was this British comedy called The Young Ones. Uh, it was like about a punk, a mod, a rude boy, and a hippie all living in a house together. And the final episode is them driving a bus off a cliff and then exploding. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Was that just one season? It's or? like, uh, I think it was like two, maybe three seasons. That's but awesome. it's like, yeah, like the bus, they're in like a, I think it's like a VW bus. They drive off a cliff <laughs> and then it hits the ground and then they just hear one of them go, that was close. And then it explodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, even like Aqua Teen Hunger Force has done many finales where like, oh yeah, they're all dead. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they're, they're they're dead. They're not coming back, and then the next season they're totally fine. Yeah, it's good to have continuity available. But yeah, I think that might be it for episode seventy-five of Vague Zone. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you would like to contact us, you can email us at VagueZonePod at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for films or franchises that you would like us to watch, let us know. We've been really on the Bradley Cooper hype. We might watch the Hangover franchise. We might not. <laughs> might, we, 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 I'm, a, I'm a big oh, fan of Bradley Cooper. I might just dive into Philip Seymour Hoffman. Just pick a better actor. Yeah, just let us know. If you want to tweet at us, you can hit us up at Twitter, at VagueZone. If you're want to let us know what you think about the euphoria finale or any finale of any tv show or anything that's happening let us know we're always on twitter active and having communications with our fans let us know but yeah once again this has been episode 75 thank you for rocking with us for 75 episodes of big zone thank you kevin for joining us on this monumental episode talking about these oscar films Next up, we haven't really decided what yeah. we're going to watch for. Next up, who next knows? WWE recaps. Two more movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Might be Dune. Might be West High Story. Might be Don't Look Up. Might be Coda. Might be Belfast. There's, yeah. There's just so many movies nominated for Best Picture these days. We could just watch them forever. But it will likely be we'll two. You know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know. But yeah, thank you for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. I'm Thomas. And I'm Daniel. And I'm Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Have a good night. That's it. Thank you.